Brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the the one Spirit. And to another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. It really is something. I know I comment on it a lot, but you get to see the fake mountains, and I get to watch on March 5th the snow falling. It's beautiful out there, walking in a winter wonderland. Just think, this is how next spring, next February and March, so pre-spring, it's going to be like it normally is in Vancouver, probably, and you're going to enjoy it so much. I'm going to ride my bike so much. Um... Well, one of the most talked about news stories in this past week, and I'll spare you from political stories or tragic stories, and there have been many of those. So in terms of kind of something that big picture doesn't really matter, that kind of story. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Thank you. Last Sunday night, this. And now best picture. Uh, I, I didn't see it. We saw it later online. But And now, best picture. And Warren Beatty, he really hung uh, Faye Dunaway out to dry there, didn't he? Because he knew it was wrong, handed it to her, and she said, La La Land. And the trouble is that that was not the movie that had won. And of course, in the days that followed, people tried to figure out why and who could be blamed for such a terrible error. You heard things like, you had one job. Be ready, be prepared check, be equipped. And then the word came down that there were two people from the accounting firm that takes care of these things at the Oscars, and it was their error or one of their errors. Apparently somebody was on Twitter tweeting beforehand, one of the many dangers of tweeting, and handed the wrong envelope. And now for that gentleman, his job at the Oscars has officially come to an end. Uh, I, I I mean, I don't know what... These, these kind of fearful things that we can have. You can wake up in the middle of the night thinking, am I ready for what I have to do today or for what's next? Those of us going on the Nepal trip, I mean, I can't imagine what it's going to be like where we are next week. Of course, Andy and Steffi can and Daniel and Karina. And we've got a big meeting right afterwards. Everybody be ready. You have to have these things. The Christian faith is at its heart missional. We have a mission. The church, Sutherland Church, and the Christian church as a whole exists for those distinct from it. 
The church exists to witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the question we could present to ourselves is, are we equipped? Are we prepared? And maybe the more aggressive way to go at you about this would be to say, are you ready to witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ and shake my finger at you and say you're not doing enough reading of your Bible? You're not doing enough praying? Which, I grant you, is likely true. (laughs) Right? For many. But there's another way to look at this challenge to be equipped. What does it mean to be ready? What does it mean to be equipped? And the promise of Scripture is that all of us who have turned to Jesus Christ in faith will be equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit to witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There aren't professionals in such regard. The entire church, the entire body, all ages, we're equipped to witness to this gospel. We're in a series that we're concluding today called Faith and Purpose. And in that, we have had the concept as well of being displaced in this world. Whether Christian or not, we can often feel displaced. We can feel displaced vocationally. We can feel displaced in terms of economics. And sometimes you know what it means to feel displaced when everything apparently is going all right in your life, but you still still feel out of place. One of the promises of the Christian gospel is that in faith in Jesus Christ, you will feel placed in this world. You will feel peace. It doesn't mean that at every moment you understand and feel that peace, but it is a promise. In our faith in Jesus Christ, we will discover meaning, vocation, purpose, and we will feel that we are... Mary used to say things like, back not that long ago, this, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through which I understand the truth of that in some ways. But the promise of faith in Jesus Christ is also that we will feel at home, even in this world, in Christ Jesus. In the last three weeks of this study, including today, we've been looking at spiritual gifts and the importance of spiritual gifts. Firstly, Galatians 5, we looked at the fruit of the Spirit and the concept of benefit and responsibility in Christian life. And in terms of Christian faith, we have a different way of looking at benefit and responsibility than maybe the world gives. Remember we mentioned that a couple of weeks ago? That most things we consider in this life, we're given a list of benefits and a list of responsibilities. Even with a cell phone contract. Here's, or a banking, you know, you open a bank account. Here's what we'll do for you, but here's your responsibilities, and these things remain kind of distinct. In Christian faith, these things meld together. Your responsibilities are also the blessings and the benefits. And you are blessed with fruit of the Spirit, love. And then under that, joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. In Romans 12, we looked at, began to look at the gifts of the Spirit, which properly understood should be called manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Because gifts of the Holy Spirit are not things we own. They're manifestations. The Holy Spirit made manifest in our lives. And today we look at 1 Corinthians 12, Manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Where the text begins is this declaration that you can't really say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And as one commentator I was reading put it, the ultimate criterion of the Spirit's activity is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord. Jesus is the one who loves all and gave himself for all. Lordship understood by the love of Jesus Christ. 
lordship not understood by definitions of the world. But the activity of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Jesus Christ as Lord. Not to exalt you. Not to put on a show. There are benefits that you receive. But this is the criteria. And if spiritual gifts, spiritual manifestations are pointing us anywhere but Christ, then there is something missing there. It's important to start here and we'll end here as well. Spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities are not things for our own end, even though we may benefit. And they're not for show. They're for the exaltation of Jesus as Lord. Spiritual activity without this focus, the work of the Holy Spirit for the exaltation of Jesus, becomes one of two things often. And I could do a little quiz and and I'd be able to find a number of people who would be able to nod at this, at these two things in the church. And some of you will experience these things as troubling in hearing them from me because you're drawn to one of these two things. Spiritual activity without this exaltation of Jesus Christ as Lord can become either empty moralism. That's marked by the church getting angry at the world all the time. Look how bad everybody else is. Look how bad most people even in church are. Empty moralism that doesn't lead anywhere. It leads to condemnation. That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can prompt us and convict us and guide us, but this moralism, well, it won't be a moralism. It will be morality unto exaltation of Jesus as Lord. So one thing that can happen without this exaltation of Jesus as Lord is empty moralism, but another is pagan fascination. Now that's really kind of strong of me to use the word pagan, but I think it's appropriate. And it's not just me saying this, by the way, it is commentators that I read. Including, in this case, this writing was a Pentecostal commentator who said, elevation of spiritual gifts without exaltation of Jesus Christ as Lord leads to spiritualism that becomes pagan fascination, celebrating only these powerful manifestations without exalting Jesus Christ as Lord. If that happens, it's pagan. We have a mission that the world would know the love of God in Jesus Christ. This is why we are equipped. This is why we're to be ready. And this text is written to communicate an important principle within that consideration for that larger task. And that principle is that there is a diversity in the Holy Spirit. So we can feel encouraged again that you don't have to be like that other person in church. That there isn't this one big kind of judgmental measurement we use against everybody in a church. Religious communities can do that all the time, right? And you need to be just like so-and-so. You don't. The Holy Spirit will work in diverse ways in each one of us. And again, this team going out, that's one of the blessings of this team, is that there are very many different people. And at times we might find that frustrating, but in the knowledge of the Holy Spirit we'll find it encouraging. This is a central argument of this text. Really, I'll mention it probably in a couple minutes as well, but this text is not about spiritual gifts. This text is about diversity in the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts are used to illustrate that diversity. 
Diversity, not uniformity, is essential for a healthy church. Diversity is a reflection of God's character. Diversity has its roots in God himself. We have a hard time thinking about this in our spiritual thinking, that God has a diversity within him. And so we define God in kind of wooden and old and stale type ways, right? And God is unchanging. What does it mean that God is unchanging and diverse? Why can't you understand that? You can't understand that because you're a creature and he's creator. And the minute you think you have God understood, then you're worshiping something less than God. It's not that we can't know about God in Christian faith. The character of God is revealed to us in Jesus Christ, and we search the whole of the scriptures. But God, who never changes, is also diverse. The emphasis in this text is not that each person is gifted. The emphasis in this text over and over is that there is one spirit expressed in multiple diverse ways. This is fantastic. This is so powerful for us as a Christian community. Because I don't have to do what you're supposed to do to go out and share this faith. I have to be who I am. And some of you are like, oh, that's not so great. Well, maybe not for you. And you know when I'm allowed to be myself in this congregation. You also might know what it feels like if somebody's trying to force you to be somebody else. Please hear me, each of you. We are every one of us equipped to show the love of Jesus Christ in this world, but we do so in being who we are. And we have this other gift to encourage one another in this. To say, you be most like you. And then we work together. And so the text says it. One person through the Spirit, and it's more than one, but this is how the text is written, one through the Spirit is gifted with wisdom. One through the Spirit is gifted with knowledge. One through the Spirit is gifted with... And the proper language here in the text, in, in the Greek in this text, is healings. So it's, it's kind of tough how it's interpreted. So here, that's why it says gifts of healing. One is equipped in the Holy Spirit with gifts of healing. It's a good place to stop and just note that... Like the other gifts, it's not only this one. But people don't walk around with always the gift to heal. And everybody that they can walk by, just heal them, heal them, heal them. It's made manifest at certain times in people's lives. So some have gifts of healings. Some the working of miracles. There's a supernatural element to this list, not to all of them. Remember, other lists talk about service and hospitality, right? Teaching, faith, or faith's in here too. One through the Spirit is given gifts of spiritual discernment. Through one, the Spirit is made manifest in speaking in prayer language, or in here it mentions tongues. And one through the Spirit, the interpretation of that language. So what have we done with these through the years? And I, I'm going to keep interchanging the word gifts for, for manifestation, but the proper word is manifestation. It's just that it doesn't, it's not as marketable, Right? So what have we done with this list and others through the years? We've categorized it. We've said, let's teach, let's emphasize. I used to help teach a course, I think it was networking or something, right? We did it here. We did it up at the Presbyterian Church when I was up there. 
um, where you help people discover their spiritual gift. Very wonderful stuff. But not entirely theologically what this text is teaching and other texts like this. So I would like each and every one of you to consider, to pray, Heavenly Father, how have you been made manifest by your Spirit in my life? What is it that when I do it, that I know your Spirit is present? It might be, because this was the list last week, remember? Caregiving. And I'm able to be present, some of you would say, in ways with people when I'm caring for them, that I know it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's more than me. I want you to pray, to discern the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. I want you to help others to do the same. But categorizing these things is getting a little bit past what this text is teaching. Because the argument is, as again, commentator would say, the argument about spiritual manifestations or spiritual gifts here is ad hoc. In other words, what's being taught is that there's one spirit, and through that one spirit, we are each given manifestations to work for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so once that central argument is established, for example, and then comes the list, right? So to take that list and then detail, minutia, unpack it, isn't the interest of the text. He may have come up with a different set to make the same point. It's not about the gifts, first of all. It's about diversity and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. You can't say, you can't say truly in faith. Of course you can say it. You can say it if you don't believe it. But what the text is meaning is you can't say truly in faith and with conviction, Jesus is Lord, without the power of the Holy Spirit. This diversity of God reflected in the body of of the church by the expression of the Holy Spirit. We are different. And God has been made manifest in our lives in different ways for the building up of the body and for the witness of the gospel in this world. The main commentator I was reading for this uh, and a number of others as well, but I always go back to this individual when I'm uh, considering the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And that is a man named Gordon Fee, who some of you probably have met. Uh, Used to be a professor out at Regent College. And when I was there, it's a long time ago now, I still take courses there from time to time, but early on in my time there, I took some courses with Gordon Fee, and I've likely told you before that I'll never forget Gordon Fee talking about some of these matters, talking about, you know, what it means to to be gifted in the Holy Spirit. And he was making a comment, and it was right when all these things were, were really, really popular, about this idea that I'll discover my one spiritual gift, and then I kind of walk around owning it. And Gordon Fee was, again, Pentecostal background, But he railed against these types of things. And I'll never forget him saying in a lecture, but it sounded more like a sermon. And he would say, it's not what the text is teaching. It can't possibly mean that. It doesn't mean that you kind of own this thing. The question is, how is the Holy Spirit made manifest in your life? But if it's made manifest, if he, the Holy Spirit, is made manifest in teaching... There'll be times when you're teaching where that spirit is not made manifest. If you, and Fee would talk about this, but you can see it yourself as well. If you come to understand or convince yourself that somehow you own your spiritual 
gift. You can become, at worst, kind of selfish, or maybe not at worst, because even worse than that is you become dangerous. Because you begin to think, so we've used the example of teaching. Everything I say is proper and right. Or if it's prophecy. And some people have this gift of spiritual insight, and they're able to speak into lives. We have people in this congregation that are like this. They, you'd swear they knew everything that was happening in your life for the past five days because they come up to you, and they, you'd swear they know your mental state somehow, your emotional state, because they come up to you and they say, you know, and they give you a verse and they say something, and you're just absolutely floored. Something like a gift of prophecy. But that doesn't mean that everything that person says is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of it might be, just be crazy. Do you remember David's prayer? The 51st Psalm. After he was, his sin was revealed to him. Do you remember what one of the biggest threats was to David? Remember as he came before the Lord? And he said, against you, you only have I sinned. It's like, well, he understands that he sinned against Bathsheba and others. But what he's saying is, Lord, your call on my life, that's the one I've broken. And so many people have been hurt. You only, against you only have I sinned. And then he says, you remember, some of you remember the song, cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. I've prayed that prayer many times. Because, Heavenly Father, if your Spirit is removed from me, I don't know what it means to be alive. And everything becomes just me trying to make things. And in that, there's emptiness. Do you long for the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and in your work, in your vocation and ministry? Fee went on to mention that these lists were not really a, a, there wasn't a lot of scholarship on them in, in the church, kind of popular church, until around the 1950s. And uh, in the early 1900s, there was a, a bit of a spirit, more than a bit, but a spiritual revival and awakening. And a lot of that has led to what's become many of the charismatic expressions of Christian faith that we know today. And Fee says that it was through that, into the 1950s, that there started to be a lot of examination of lists like this. And in the shadow of that Pentecostal revival, there was an outbreak of supernatural experience and a lot of literature on gifts of the Spirit, particularly a focus on supernatural gifts of the Spirit. There's two glaring errors that I've put up on the screen for you in that literature. Some of it is more on the Pentecostal understanding, and some of it would be more the understanding of some of you have been part of a church like this for years, the Plymouth Brethren background church. Those of you who are here who don't know what that means, we'll talk to you about it later. But the Plymouth Brethren, they were not exactly, um, they had expressions of the Holy Spirit, but they weren't Pentecostal. Is that fair to say? Amen. Thank you. I mean, back in the day, you stood with your hands raised in the church and you might get a talking to. Here's the errors. As that literature started to come out, two glaring errors. First, the elevation of some gifts above others as spiritual markers. And at times, this was more the error of the Pentecostal understanding of faith. The more supernatural the gift, the more God must be present. That's not true. That is not true. 
And I'm a minister, and I have people coming to me so often, talking to me as if the evidence of God is supernatural expression. That is not what Scripture teaches. That's one expression. But it's not over all others. And the problem is that you, you and me, we're not growing enough in this faith. We're not strong enough in the faith to know that God expresses himself in myriad of ways. So when somebody comes up to me and they say, you should see what's happening over... And it's always, wow, fire! I love that. I welcome that. There's times we need to see more power. But it does not mean that God is more present there than in other parts of the church. Some of you have come out of traditions where you've experienced this even personally. Where you see many other people maybe being slain in the spirit or speaking a prayer language or whatever it might be and it's not happening to you and you feel like you're less. This is one glaring error. Please understand, I'm not speaking against the spiritual manifestations, the supernatural manifestations. I'm simply saying they are not the only expression of God's presence. And by their very nature, they are exceptional. Correct? That's why you think they're so wonderful. And, as we mentioned before, the power of these things can at times take the emphasis off of Jesus Christ. Not always. Sometimes they make the emphasis on Jesus Christ stronger. That's fantastic. But at other times they become an end in themselves. Secondly, the second error is, of course, the opposite. We don't tend, not in, in Sutherland Church, though it comes in fits and starts, right? We don't tend to fall into number one that much. I think we more often fall into number two. It, to say somehow, either expressly, like to actually say it, or to think it and live this way, that supernatural manifestations do not exist today. The background of this church, the Plymouth Brethren faith, has this as part of its background. At its core, it's called dispensationalism, where it means the church history is divided into certain eras. And they would say supernatural expressions don't exist now. They only existed in the first century church. So if you see somebody speaking in a prayer language, they're just, they're just pretending. This is, this is, I think, properly interpreted. This is a glaring error. And see what happens here is that rather than worshiping kind of supernatural expression, which is the mistake of number one, we quench the presence of the Holy Spirit by saying, well, no, nothing powerful like that ever happens. This is a huge mistake as well. So that somebody comes to you and they tell you one of these stories that I hear, and you just kind of shut it down. No, that's only dangerous. God doesn't work that way. This is a glaring error. The problem with this teaching, interpretively, is that to get to it, you have to do all kinds of interpretive backflips. And, you know, you're probably not that interested in having me walk through what those backflips are. But to get to the point where you say, these supernatural gifts only exist in this time you've really got to do some, some cutting and shaving and gifts of healing, gifts of tongues, 
These things lead to interpretive problems and church problems. The first mistake can lead to classes of Christians, where some people are seen as more spiritual, some people are seen as more close to God, more powerful, more acceptable in the church than others. This is a lie. It's a flat-out lie. Because your acceptability before God doesn't come from your from manifestations of the Spirit. Your acceptability before God comes from forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And that we share. I guess the other side to this in our more staid background is that we can kind of roll our eyes at people who experience these supernatural expressions and we ought not do that either. We need them. We need one another. And the second problem coming from the second interpretive error is that it can lead to a spiritual complacency where we have no expectations of God working in power. Day after day, week after week, year after year, we don't think that anything powerful will ever happen. And this is a lie too. And some of you have such a hunger to see things happening. Oh, Lord! Keep that hunger. That's of God. But just be careful where that becomes a judgment on other people. So what are we to think? If you come to me, what do I think? You know, and and you can have your statement of faith, belief, which it never really is held that way, is it? Here's the 22 things I believe. (laughs) So in this... How do I operate? I don't disbelieve in supernatural expression and occurrence. I believe that God gives me pictures in prayer often. Some of you would say visions. Sure. Spiritual insight. There's times when it seems, I've told you this before, where it seems like every bush is a burning bush. The landscape just lights up with God's power. There's times when I hope for more. I long to see God's power poured out, even in our congregation. And there's times when I push away from that, almost, I think, out of self-protection. That's why we need each other. Those manifestations of the Holy Spirit working in a community at a given time to call people to the name of Jesus Christ and to a deeper walk in this faith. I hope we see more of them. And I hope you encourage people who can help you in this regard. Just as significant as that, though, every bush becoming a burning bush and seeing God come down in whatever manifestation, just as significant as that is something like happened this week to me, or I was near it. Our friend who's been part of this church for a number of years came with the Williams from Little First Baptist years ago. Roz Judge, Rosamond Judge, died this week. She had a strong faith in Jesus Christ. I was with her a day and a half before she died, prayed with her, and I watched her family and I watched a couple of the caregivers at Cedarview come alongside her. And I saw people kneeling down beside her sometimes praying for her, sometimes one of the staff members who's fantastic at Cedarview 
trying to find a little amplification system and she was putting it against Roz's ear so that we could hear, because Roz was responding, but she couldn't verbalize. Can you hear Roz? She kept saying, and Roz would indicate that she could, that the little speaker helped. And it dawned on me. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in this room right now. Somebody is caring for a person who is dying. And the Holy Spirit is made manifest. Nobody's ever going to tell the story in power of that room. But they're both the working of the Holy Spirit for the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And so for you, be who you are in Christ. Seek those things that are deeper and greater and more powerful. Also be attentive to the presence of the Holy Spirit in these still and small ways. I will look to help you see the glory of God manifest in the beauty of this world and in the supernatural expression of the Holy Spirit come through prayer, reading, communal worship. All of it and all of it and all of it for this purpose. Jesus is Lord. His love over all the earth, your families, your kids, your grandkids, your friends, that they would know the love of God in Jesus Christ. So, what from here? Simply this pray. Pray for the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life so that you know it's the Spirit. I give you assurance. If you pray this and you seek to walk in this faith, God will reveal to you how the Holy Spirit is made manifest in your life. Pray for that. It's also the greatest purpose you'll ever have. And pray for an awareness of this in the lives of other people. Particularly with the people who you think, wow, I don't get them. But consider how the Holy Spirit is being made manifest in their life. This is the body of Christ working in diversity. Secondly, purpose. Purpose to show God's love in Jesus Christ. If the Holy Spirit is being made manifest in your caregiving then do that in such a way to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ in this world. Why do you care for that sick person so well? Why do you care for that person who finds themselves in some kind of psychological care in this world? Why do you care for all these other people that you come across? Why are you particularly drawn to those who are broken or hurt? Because that person is made in the image of God. And they are loved entirely by Jesus Christ. And your caregiving, Your attentiveness to them helps them to see it. So purpose, that with whatever manifestation is present in your life, it's not for your own glory or for show. It's to show people the truth of this world that Jesus Christ has given his life for all. Thirdly, understand that your posture in these matters And this is when we work together really well, right? 
Your posture in these matters is always one of receiving. Even when you're exercising your spiritual gift, manifestations of the Spirit in your life, it's always receiving. So that it's not an arrogant act. It's not your own power. I believe I see the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life made manifest in this way, but I stand before God and I say, take not your Holy Spirit from me. All of this implies this posture of receiving, and in a moment we're going to turn to the communion table. This is the ultimate heart of what we receive, the love of Jesus Christ, the acknowledgement of our sin, but the acceptance of forgiveness and salvation in him. But in these matters of spiritual manifestations, we are always in this posture as well. And then fourthly, witness. This goes together with the second one. Purpose to show God's love in Jesus Christ and understand that the mission of your life as you are part of the body of Christ is to witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world. It's a tremendous gift to do so. So I'm going to pray for the communion. I'll remind you, especially because we're away for a couple of weeks, um, that during this season of, of Lent, and so you have up here, the Anglican Church will keep putting little symbols on there during the Lenten season. And today, of course, you see the ashes, right? So a number of us went to Ash Wednesday services, and the minister touches your forehead and says, remember you are from dust, and to dust you will return. And each week there'll be another symbol as we move towards Easter. I'm just going to put this on the communion table before we The reminder, here's why we got Wednesday after Mardi Gras, Shrove Tuesday, Fat Tuesday. The reminder that we're looking towards Jesus Christ who gave his life for all. That he has taken on sin and death and defeated it. Remember you, human, you're from dust and to dust you will return. But as you consider your own mortality, you awaken to the immortality that is promised us in Christ Jesus. So you'll have communion each week during the season of Lent. There's not a breakfast and communion next week because there'll be communion during the service every week. And we're going to do it fairly simply like we are this morning. I'll pray for it. The ushers will come out, come up and we'll pass the communion out. Unless when we're gone, you can change it up how you like. But uh, that's how it's going to take place, I would imagine, most of the time. So I'm going to pray over the communion and I'm going to pray also for the offering because we'll take that after we pass out the communion. Let's pray together. Excuse me. So Heavenly Father, we are so grateful because you know each one of us intimately. Lord Jesus Christ, we know that you have given yourself for the life of this world. And as we take and share this communion and pass it to one another, we hear your words, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We confess our sin and we turn to you for salvation. We remember what you said after supper when you took the cup, saying that this cup represents your blood poured out for us. So help us as we take this communion to know what it means to receive life in you. Come Holy Spirit, open this time to us, we ask. Make this receiving a response to what you're doing in this place, in your word, in our lives. 
Help us as we receive to declare our trust, our faith in Jesus Christ. We pray also for the offering, that it would be used for your glory, and that our giving would be an act of worship. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. We always say...